Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewing. Fall is in the air, and that means the return of their Percy Porter, named after the Percy Medicine Building, the first place they brewed their delicious beer. It's also rumored that Babe Ruth hit a homer that bounced off the roof. Have a pint in their spacious outdoor beer garden. It's the safest way to beat those COVID blues. That's Brotherwell Brewing on historic Bridge Street. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Welcome to the Waco History Podcast. I'm Randy Lane, great-grandson of Waco architect Roy E. Lane. Over 100 years ago, he designed the Alico Building, Hippodrome, and other well-known landmarks. My co-host, Dr. Stephen Sloan of Baylor's Institute for Oral History, is helping me learn Waco's known and unknown stories. On this episode, the supernatural story of Mabel Legg. They kept seeing this lady in black, and one of them thought she was an actual person. And they asked her, you know, ma'am, can I help you? And she just disappeared in front of him. Returning to the podcast, Cindy Little tells us how a paranormal investigation took her on a historic journey. And now, join us on a trip into Waco's past. Cross the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Well, we're back on the Waco History Podcast, and we have another return guest. Stephen, can you introduce her? Well, this is one of the fun things about having done this for a while is we we have friends of the program. uh, We can call them that. And uh, Cindy Little (laughs) is a, a friend of the program. It's great to go back and listen to her episode in October because she was one of those spookier ones uh, we did at the beginning. It'll change the way you look at couches. <laughs> uh, but uh, she's back here to talk about a very different subject. It's a great oral history project that she's pursuing on Mabel Legg. I'll let Cindy tell you more about who Mabel Legg is or was, but uh, welcome back, Cindy. Thank you. Ooh. Pretty much why I wanted to do this podcast, and I you know, talked to Randy about it earlier, was when it comes to paranormal investigating, there is so much intersect between what we do as paranormal investigators and history. And that's mm. really how we found out about Mabel. We were at a, a local antique mall here, the LaSalle Shops. I don't know if y'all have been over there. And they were closed for a number of months for COVID. And while they were closed, they had some construction projects that were going on and they had some construction workers in there. Well, while the construction workers were in there, they kept seeing this lady in black. And Mm. one of them thought she was an actual person. And they asked her, you know, ma'am, can I help you? And she just disappeared in front of him. So he was Mm. thinking, okay, this is not an actual person. And he thought it was one of the vendors. But then he said, when he described her, she had a a long dark dress on, her hair was up in a, in a bun. 
She had the button-up shoes and um, basically looked like she was from the early 1900s. So the owners of the antique mall contacted me and said, okay, we have a ghost in here. It's a lady in black. Can mm. you please figure out who this might be? So we set to work and did some historical research. And I went to the National Archives and found the Sanborn maps of the area from the late 1800s, early 1900s, and pretty much that area until the 1930s was just cotton fields. There hmm. was a cotton mill that was up closer to Baylor, but I was thinking there's no people associated, directly associated with this area. So I thought that was kind of a mystery. And I, I got back to them and said, you know, I didn't see anything on people in this area, maybe I don't know, a cotton farmer lived in the area. I'm, I'm really not sure. Anyway, we were kind of stumped. We um, decided to go ahead and do an investigation. And this lady was seen outside of the bathroom and in the shop. And, and of course, there's all these vendor booths there. And so right there where the lady was seen, we found a photograph of a lady in black from around the, you know, look like she was from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And we have some folks in our group that are psychic sensitives that can pick up on information in the environment. But of course, we always like to triangulate that. Um, and we usually do that historically. So they came in and they were kind of getting some feelings. They were getting a name. They were saying, well, I'm getting the name Melba with a very strict kind of protective presence. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, let's just buy this picture. So we, we purchased the picture and just for the heck of it, I put it up on the Facebook Waco History Pictures website. Mm -hmm. And the response I got was overwhelming. I had no idea who this woman was. And they said, that is Mabel Legg. Mm. And there were so many people that were former students of hers and they just started reminiscing and sharing stories of this incredible local teacher who spent many, many years at the uh, Waco state home for disadvantaged children. And then later was an English teacher at La Vega. And she was born in 1900 and she started teaching in 1918. She eventually got a BA and a master's from Baylor. And so we're thinking, okay, we have this lady in black in this period dress. They're seeing this lady in black. There's a photograph here. Now, this is all speculative. And, you know, we got the name Melba. Her name's Mabel. Strict presence. And, you know, all of her students said she was loved by everybody. But, boy, you did not cross her. She was a very strict teacher, loved poetry, wrote poetry. Well, it kind of just started this historical journey. We got in touch with the family. They saw the picture online and they really wanted the picture back. So we sent the picture to them. And since we've sent the picture to them, the lady in black hasn't been seen at the antique mall. Mm. So like I said, you know, maybe there's a connection maybe not. It's just very interesting. And that in turn got me really interested in Mabel. I mean, just somebody should write a book about her life. I mean, she 
lived from 1900 to 2002, taught for many, many years, survived typhoid, the Spanish flu in, in 1918, lived in Indian Territory in Oklahoma, taught all over the state. And one was like in a one-room school, schoolhouse, just a really, really interesting story. So I've started doing interviews for the Oral History Project. We've completed one. We're looking for two more people to interview. And I just got word from the Texas Collection archivist that they do want some of the documents that the person we just interviewed, they want his his uh, collection of things about Mabel. So it's really cool to me because this paranormal investigation has spurred this preservation of a local, kind of a local treasure um, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm really happy about that people will be able to know about Mabel Legg and her contributions to, to Waco. So just a couple of questions about the paranormal sighting first. So okay. the picture, I'm, I'm sure you already said it, but where was it in relation to where she was seen again? Right where she was seen. Okay. Was it like set up like as something they were selling there or was it just hanging out or what? It was in a vendor's booth. Um, The vendor had old pictures and books and things, and it was just kind of on a rack right there, front and center. So they think that the photograph was tied to her spirit somehow, and that's why she showed up there. She didn't actually go to the LaSalle shops at all? We don't know. I mean, maybe (laughs) she went there. They had a hair salon. Um, um, Kind of, here's, here's the deal. One of the theories about ghostly sightings is that it is residual energy. And these are, they're all theories, you know, nothing set in stone here. It's not like this, you know, spirit from beyond the grave. You know, we, we think there's some kind of energy in the environment that can be attached to a place, or in this case, possibly an object, a photograph. And, and we don't exactly know how all that works, but it can perhaps, you know, kind of project things from the past or people that are sensitive enough can read objects or places from the past and pick up a little bit of history about that object or that place. So that's that's kind of really kind of where we're at right now. It's some kind of projection or something in the environment that triggers these these sightings. And I mean, they're not interactive. It's kind of more like a kind of like a movie, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like a DVR player. Something plays back from from the past. And so we're thinking, well, maybe there was some energy around Mabel's photograph or something. And and like I said, this is all just guesswork, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, all guesses. But but we think, you know, who knows, maybe there might be some sort of attachment there between the past and and the photograph that was there. And so she lived over a hundred years? She died at 102 years old. Wow. Yeah. She had really seen a lot, huh? And it's not just how long she lived. It's all she lived through, I think, being born in 1900, right? So, I mean, just think of the world that she was born into and then the world she saw before she passed away is pretty remarkable. Well, it is. And I mean, and that's really, there's a story about how she got her job at the, uh, the Waco State Home is it was during the Depression, you know, I think it was 1929, and her husband, Vernon, had lost his job. She was looking for work. And it was very frustrating because at the time, married women were not allowed to teach. They were supposed to be in the home and being homemakers. Well, she was very frustrated because 
they they didn't have any kind of income, and so she was looking for jobs. And finally, the the Waco State Home hired her, and she was there for many many years before she she left and went to La Vega. She's taught there twenty six years. Yeah. So, and I don't think we've talked about the Waco State home yet on the podcast, but for those that kind of know Waco now, it's the Waco Center for Youth, that that area. It's connected to the Camp MacArthur story that we've talked about because it's created kind of on the grounds of where Camp MacArthur was. Hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's why Randy keeps me around. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so what did Waco look like around when she was born and what would her childhood have been like? Well, she doesn't get to Waco until the late 20s. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So where was she before that? Yeah. And what's kind of her journey to Waco? Well, she had taught all over the state. I mean, she taught in, in towns in, in East Texas and in West Texas. And I think she, she taught for a little while in, around the Dallas area. And her and her husband, Vernon, they had a really long courtship. They had like a 10-year courtship, married in the, in the 1920s. And that's what brought her to Waco. And, and yeah, that was the later 1920s. So was she in uh, Indian territory prior to that? For a while, when, that's when she was a girl. Their, their family, she was Mabel Griffiths before that. And they lived, they moved to Oklahoma for a little while. And she, she had a big family, a lot of brothers and sisters. And, and yes, they lived in Indian territory for a while. And that's where they, she survived typhoid. They, they caught typhoid there. And her brother was good friends with a full-blooded, Native American. And, and so, yeah, they, they spent some time in, in what they called Indian territory. So Cindy, back to the, the apparition or the experience of energy, how rare is it to associate it with a specific person where you're able to kind of, cause you talked about other kind of investigations you've done. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily remember you having many that, that were, that you were able to kind of connect to someone that had a biography and a broader kind of life story. And so how, how rare is that in your experience? It's very rare. I would say Mabel is, is the closest I've had to being able to possibly, you know, have a person to possibly connect the activity to. A lot of times when people have this, this kind of residual type activity going on, um, I think of phantom footsteps. We always do historical research. For example, um, another case that you know, there's a downtown bar. They would prefer that I don't say who they are, but it's not they... Brother Well Brewing, though. <laughs> no, I don't think okay. it they is. might welcome right, it. Who knows? Make sure. You know, some people are okay with letting me know. You know that they're haunted. Others aren't. But this downtown bar, they were having the same kind of residual activity, and they were, you know, kind of phantom footsteps and shadows and kind of some strange noises and things and kind of a misty figure and so and some strange electrical readings and whenever these residual hauntings happen a lot of times there's kind of strange electrical readings anomalous electrical readings so when i went and investigated there i noticed that we had some really interesting electrical readings that seemed to be you know not connected to we always do baselines where okay where are the the power outlets, where are the lights, where are the, you know, anything that can throw off electrical fields. And once we rule all that out, you know, if we have some strange ones, and this one was very strange because it seemed to be a field that was moving around the room. And so I thought, well, this is really interesting. 
And, you know, it's just part of taking notes. I went back to uh, newspapers.com, which I just love. It's one of my favorite historical research sites to kind of research the area. And so this bar was in the, I think it's the NJ Lacey building, the, the, the Lacey building downtown. And, you know, nothing really exciting to report about the building itself until 1953 when the tornado hit. And so the bar is about a half a block from where the R.T. Dennis Furniture Building was. You know, then that was the big five-story building where it pancaked, all five stories pancaked down on a whole bunch of people. They ran in there for shelter. So you've got this big surge of traumatic energy that's released a half a block from this building. And, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe there's some kind of leftover energy there that could be causing these phantom footsteps or black mists and, and some of the other electrical readings that were going on. And like I said, this is all really speculative, but we've been finding that there are patterns of, you know, kind of connections between trauma or very repetitive activity and these electrical readings and these types of, of paranormal experiences. I love Waco history and I love local history. It's, it's just, it's really great. I find it so useful for paranormal cases. And I mean, you know, even like the, the witch's castle, you, have y'all heard of the witch's yes. castle? And, okay. Near mm -hmm. Cameron park and, Oh, all the terrible stories. And there was this, crone that lured children in and poisoned them and cooked them and ate them and you know just these really awful haunted stories and I don't know if you know about this but a few years back the Waco Trib ran a story about a local I think it was a surveyor or an engineer that painstakingly researched that area and of course there was no crazy woman that was catching and roasting children. It was actually the, the foundation of this little rock house that is known as Witch's Castle was a vacation home of Elmore Rack. He was, he was a local businessman. They called it the Monkey Ranch because that's where they would go to monkey around. You can, you know, think whatever you want on that. And it's an area called the Cedar Breaks. And for a while, there was an African-American community in there, a church, a cemetery, a madam lived in the area for a while and then Camp MacArthur came in and I think they shooed her out. It was another way that history's used to kind of debunk folklore, mm -hmm. you know, because there's, you know, these well-known haunted places that a lot of times it's just a bunch of folklore. It's a bunch of stories that, that aren't true. So we use it for that as, as well. Well, you said there was a cemetery there, so, you know, you can't rule it completely out. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's long gone now. I don't know if you've, you've been up in that area. It's, it's a bunch of bike trails now, but I, I did not see the cemetery. I saw the foundation of the house and the, and the rock gate. It's no longer there. They tore that down, which is kind of sad. But, you know, yeah, there was, there was a cemetery there at some point. I want to get back to Mabel here in a minute, but Cindy, I wanted to ask you just because you're thinking and investigating these things. Are there parts of town that you give a wide berth to? Are there parts of town that you kind of avoid or you give you a bad vibe when you drive past it? Or, I mean, I get this near Randy's, but I mean, do you have like a kind of an area 
or town that you react to? You know, I just can't think of anything that just really creeps me out around town. I will say that pet cemetery out in Bellmead, it's not haunted, but that thing really creeps me out. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Just, you know, maybe from the movie Pet Cemetery. I don't know. I just I just think it's kind of creepy. There's there's really nothing here that just really creeps me out or or makes me pause, you know, other than I tell people because I'm I'm teaching a class on paranormal investigating, you know, just be wary of natural dangers. You know, sometimes if you're going into these older buildings, there might be people living in them. And, and so I tell them kind of half jokingly, but half serious, I bring, you know, pepper spray for the not so nice people in granola bars for the nice people. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you just, just got to know which is in which pocket, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's being sensible and being careful. And I'm, I'm a lot more concerned about things like that than I am about any kind of paranormal activity. It just doesn't really creep me out or anything. I should have gone back and reviewed our previous podcast, but I've always thought with that class that you teach, who takes it? <laughs> I mean, just if there is a, you know, certain sort of person that's more interested. You know, and and I'm I'm going to say, I hope I don't offend anybody. I find that in general, I, I mean, I have a, a pretty wide variety of, of people that sign up, but in general, um, middle-aged women take my class, you know, maybe, maybe cause I'm a middle-aged woman. I don't know. I, I usually get a lot of, of middle-aged women that are just really, really interested. I mean, I get some, some guys as well and some younger people that tends to be kind of my, my population in my classes. And I've been teaching it now for about four. Well, I have a class in the spring as well. I've been teaching them for about four years now. And that, that kind of tends to be the, the main, the main audience. And so you do that class at the Dr. Pepper museum and I was there recently. So what part exactly is the most haunted of that facility? <laughs> Here we go back to energy and objects. They have in their basement, that's where they archive their valuable stuff. Their Dr. Pepper historical documents and, and, and artifacts and things. They're having poltergeist activity down there right now where you've got the, the workers down there at their desks trying to do their jobs and there's posters being shoved off of tables. There's objects being thrown at the desks. I, I think there's, you know, some, obviously there's some energy down there near the artifacts. And so, yeah, and we, we're going to investigate the Dr. Pepper Museum again at the end of this class, as well as we've been invited for the first time, and I'm so happy about this, to the McCullough House. I've, I've never been able to get into, to investigate any of the historic homes. And so we're going to be investigating that as well for the first time. But yeah, the Dr. Pepper Museum is is great. So I would say the basement where the archives are kept is probably the most paranormally active place in the building. Interesting. Have you heard of any hauntings at in places in, in East Waco? And maybe we can get you into our sponsor, Brotherwell. You can see if they have any spiritually charged <laughs> parts of their facility. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, if they want to contact me, that's great. I'm always up for... 
for exploring new places. And I've never been in any place over in, in East Waco to investigate. So sure. Yeah, I'm up for it. Randy can make it happen. I can make it happen. <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, I wanted to ask about Mabel a little bit as you jumped in and started researching her. And I know you've conducted one interview. You have more planned, uh, mm -hmm. just maybe some things you uncovered about uh, who Mabel was and, and uh, what she was like and that sort of thing. Our first interview was with one of her La Vega students, and he has managed to collect so much stuff about Mabel's life. And in fact, he even wrote this multi-page poem that's basically a biography of her life and which is just really, really impressive. And I mean, it, 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 it tells all about her journey from being a, a secretary for a little while and going to school and, and eventually, you know, becoming a teacher. She lived a very interesting life during a very interesting time. She was, when she was here in Waco, she was one of the founding members of Highland Baptist Church. She loved poetry. She wrote poetry. And even up until her, her final birthday, you know, what she quoted from memory, the, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And she would always, the students I've talked to said that she would always make them memorize in old English, the, the prologue to the Canterbury tales. Hmm. And um, so, of course, when I we went to this this interview, this first interview, we got lots of, of poetry quoted to us, which which was great. But those were poems that Mabel had managed to get a bunch of 17 year old kids to memorize and recite. And even to this day they still remember them. And um, one of her students was Billy Joe Shaver, which is a, a country music singer. And he credits her with really inspiring him in his, in his songwriting and, and lyrics. And this woman was just really beloved and had so many, she has touched so many people's lives. And I was just really, truly amazed at, at how many people that she is, has really had an impact on as far as really loving, instilling a love of English and poetry and literature. And so just to be able to have people even now, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, remember her so fondly and as well as remember the assignments and the poems that they had to memorize is, is just pretty amazing. What years was she active teaching? She started teaching in 1918, and it wasn't here wow. in Waco. Um, I cannot remember. Like I said, she bounced around the state quite a bit from places in West. I know she was in Palestine for a while, but there were places in West Texas and in East Palestine, Texas. Palestine, Cindy. You got to get Texas on that. Palestine. Palestine. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm originally from the West Coast. I, I know so. it's all right. It's it's East Tech. You have to take a word that everyone pronounces one way and then put it in East Texas. Yep. Okay. Yeah. True. Pala Palestine. Palestine. Yeah. Palestine for yeah. a while, 
And there's one funny story where she was um, teaching them this. And I don't know if it was in Palestine or another small town. She was in a, a one-room schoolhouse. And there are photographs that this, this interviewee has that he's going to be donating to the Texas collection of the one-room schoolhouse that was right next to a train track. And so every morning, she would have one of her students go out. And this was during the First World War. And so she would have one of her students go out and hang the flag. So she had one of her students go out, okay, put up the flag. So he put up the flag. About, you know, 10 minutes or so later, she has all of these soldiers storming into the schoolroom because, it, like I said, it was right near a train track. And the kid had hung the flag upside down, which was a sign <laughs> of distress. And so the train stopped and all of these soldiers came storming into the classroom to make sure that everything was okay. And, you know, everything was just, just fine. But, but, you know, the kid hung the flag upside down. So <laughs> that's a good um, one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was, that was pretty good, but yeah, she, just lived a, during a very amazing time, basically through the, the whole 20th century mm. and was sharp till the very end. Like I said, quoting poetry, even up to her last birthday and um, just remembered everything. Like I said, uh, students remember her as being very stern. And I said, well, how is she stern? You know, what did the other students think of her? And, you know, or the kids that had her before you, you know, what, what did they say? And they're like, oh, you don't want to cross her. You don't want to cross her. I'm like, well, what did she do? Did she yell or, or what did she do? And they said, she had this look. It was just this, this look. And she would never raise her voice. But, you know, this, this look could, I guess, just peel wallpaper off the walls. And, and they knew that if they got the look, they were in big trouble. So she kind of had, I guess, you know, maybe a little bit of a Clint Eastwood approach, you know, kind of quiet and intense. She had kids that smarted off, but they didn't smart off for long. And she, she kept a, a tight ship in, in the classroom and never had an enemy, never had anybody that just really didn't like her. I mean, the students that I spoke with, they just could not say enough great things about her. Doing a little research myself here. looks like she got a bachelor's and a master's from Baylor. Yes. Yeah. In fact, the picture of her in black was her, one of her Baylor graduation pictures. That's what the family told us. So definitely being born at that time and going to college, that's an accomplishment there too. It, it was huge. She, she really kind of took a non-traditional path. She never had any children of her own, which I thought was kind of interesting. Her and Vernon did not have kids. And so uh, in a way, I think that, that her students were kind of her, her kids. And so, yeah, to be able to even get a job as a teacher, as a married woman in the late 20s was, was really kind of a, a brazen move. And I think it really kind of speaks to what an amazing teacher she was to even be considered for employment, even at the children's home, you know, with all the culture of women not being allowed to, to work outside of the home during that time. Mm. Supposedly she wrote her own obituary. You talked about her yeah. staring sharp <laughs> her whole he life. And so I was trying to find it because uh, that ought to be a good read, I would expect. Yeah, I have not been able to find the obituary. And I asked the, the gentleman that we interviewed about that, and he kind of laughed about it and said, yeah, but he didn't have 
her obituary. So I thought that was really kind of interesting. He did speak at her funeral, though. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of funny, but it, completely in character with what I know of her. Said also, she never smoked, she never drank, and she never got in trouble, according to her. That's why she lived so long. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. It's like, <laughs> what's the secret to living a long life? You know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I never got in trouble. So that was that was her secret. And on her 102nd birthday, she said she lived that long so she could get famous. Yes. Yeah. She says it took that long to get famous. Yeah. I think you need to write the book, Cindy. The, the guy that we interviewed, I mean, um, his name's Ron, Ron Holub. I'm sure he doesn't, won't mind if I mention him. He was very close with Mabel, even after graduating. Um, he graduated from La Vega in the 60s, stayed very close with her for a very long time. And I mean, it is just amazing. We went into his home and he just had this whole, his pool table was just covered with all of these documents about her, awards that she'd received, yearbooks that she was in, you know, diplomas, photographs, you know, just everything you could want about, want to know about Mabel. This guy is like, the Mabel leg expert. <laughs> and, and I mean, he just, it was obvious that he just really adored her and they had a really, a really great relationship even up until the end of her life. I'm so glad he held on to that, those materials. And so we're going to have that in the archive. That's wonderful. I think so too. And, and that's what I told him. I guess she worked at the Armstrong Browning library for a little while. And so when he initially got in touch with me. He's like, oh, I have all of these, these documents I'd like to donate to the Armstrong Browning Library because she worked there. And I said, well, I don't know that they would want those documents, but I imagine that the, the Texas collection, and I explained to him a little bit about what the Texas collection was. I said, I have a feeling they would be very, very interested in those documents. And they were. They Like I said, they just got back to me today and they're going to be getting in touch with him now to have him bring in some of these photographs and documents and things. And like I told him, I said, you've done the community such a great service here by holding on to all of these things and not only holding on to them, but being willing to, to give them up to the university. I said, because future students are going to be able to learn about this incredible lady who was such a vibrant part of Waco for so many, many years that nobody would have known about her. I had never heard of Mabel Legg. And, and so to be able to preserve that, that makes, that's what makes me feel really, really good is that, you know, it started out as an investigation and then to go in and to find all of this great information about this amazing lady and her contributions to Waco and now to have her story preserved for future generations is is just great. I, I mean, to me, that's just the the cherry on the Sunday. Uh, I mean, a, a cool, spooky investigation that ends this way is just awesome. It was it's great. Well, and you doing these interviews are really helping round out that story and and kind of create a much more of a personal portrait uh, of who Mabel was. We're learning so much about Mabel and through the other cases that I'm continuing to work in the area, just learning about Waco in general and the history of Waco in general. 
And I mean, it's just fascinating. I, I mean, there's just so much to learn and so many amazing people and events. So it's, it's just a really fun part of, of paranormal investigating. Like I said, the two intersect so much of the time. It's, it's just really a lot of fun. So I think a good way to end this up, Mabel had a, a long life and we've got a lot of information about it. What do you think she would want to impart to future generations based on who she was as a person when she was alive? <laughs> Memorize the prologue of the Canterbury Tales. <laughs> Read Shakespeare. You know, I, I think probably just work hard and learn and be passionate about whatever it is that you're learning about. And that's one thing that she really imparted to her students. I think, I can't remember who quoted her on it, but it was, they said that she would be willing to teach for free. Uh, I mean, she really, really loved teaching. And so I, I think that passion in her was imparted to her students and that carried over to their lives and how it has impacted them in, in their lives personally. So, you know, yeah, just, work hard at what you do and, and love what you do. Excellent. Cindy, thanks again for coming on. I know we've done this in previous podcasts, but what's the best way for people to find you? They can find me through my paranormal website. It's Waco ghosts, all one word.com. And can they get in on one of those uh, classes coming up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now we're right in the middle of the fall class and, and just having a great time looking forward to investigating the McCullough House and, and the Dr. Pepper Museum again. But we have one coming up in the spring, usually during the month of April. It's local Waco haunts. It's a little more, we do a little more field trips. You know, we go to the, uh, the Cooper House, which is another place that's just a treasure trove of local history. We go to Baylor to, to learn about the connections between the paranormal and history. To, you know, they, Amy Oliver does this fantastic presentation for my students every year. And then we, we go back to the Dr. Pepper Museum, and I'm hoping we might be able to get back into the McCullough House. And so all of these places, there is a lot of history mixed in. We've gone to Oakwood Cemetery in the past, which is another spot that's rumored to be haunted. But there again, lots and lots and lots of local local history. I don't think you can sign up for the spring class yet. I think their catalog probably comes out after the first of the year. We may ask you this last time, but it may have changed. What's your white whale? What place do you want to get into and investigate? <laughs> oh my goodness. My white whale. Okay. I've got two white whales. <laughs> That's a literary reference, Randy. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Mabel would get it. <laughs> Mabel would you definitely know. get it. <laughs> um, I would love to investigate the Alico building and I would love to, you know, do a paranormal investigation at the Cooper house, but they are not open to that. So mm. that one's pretty much off the table, but the Particularly at his desk, that's still the same as it was when he had, that would be an interesting place to work. It's got to have yeah, so much energy. Have you, have you seen his office? Did you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the tour, I highly recommend their tour. They have a historical tour and that's what I take my students on. And yes, it's rumored to be haunted. So I just tell my students to enjoy the history 
and look for, you know, things that might be kind of weird going on, but just keep it quiet. But yes, the upstairs where his office is, it has not been touched. And it's just, it's really creepy cool. I mean, I, I this is just <laughs> my favorite part of the house. Um, and the basement, we've gotten to go into the basement before too. And that's, that's pretty neat too. And of course the house is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always very gracious and in hosting my, my classes every year. So, so yes, if ever they were open to a paranormal investigation, that'd be awesome. But the Alico building, it's been rumored to be haunted for years and years. It'd be fun to get in there as well. Excellent. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewing. Fall is in the air, and that means the return of their Percy Porter. Named after the Percy Medicine Building, the first place they brewed their delicious beer. It's also rumored that Babe Ruth hit a homer that bounced off the roof. Have a pint in their spacious outdoor beer garden. It's the safest way to beat those COVID blues. That's Brotherwell Brewing on Historic Bridge Street. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. We'll see you next time. Then the night came alive with gunfire He knew that at last it'd been found As the ranger's badge showed brightly El Bandito lay on the ground Carmella knew he was dying That all of her dreams were in vain As she kissed his lips for the last time She heard him whisper again Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio I'm safe when I reach San Antonio